before we get started, I just wanted to, to share a few things with y'all. I thought about maybe looking and watching a video before we got started, but it's kind of too late in the game for that. But I was just going to share with y'all a little bit about what has been on my heart and kind of what I have noticed here recently, especially um, the last several, I don't know, really maybe the last several years, but um, as a Christian and as a, a believer in Jesus Christ, we face a lot of opposition. And I've really noticed that here recently. Um, a couple of, maybe maybe a month or so ago, I don't know if you guys heard, but there was this young man, he was a teenager, uh, probably you know, not much older than you guys, and he went to an event that where they were having like a gay pride type event. He was reading from the Bible. He was not like in anybody's face. He was um, just trying to share, really trying to share the gospel across the street from an outside event. This was actually in Wisconsin, so we're not talking about in very liberal area like New York or, or California. We're talking about Wisconsin. And so this young man was arrested. He was arrested for actually sharing Scripture about love in Galatians. He wasn't sharing Scripture that was talking against homosexuality or anything like that. He was just sharing Gospel and yet he was arrested. And so, you know, we live in a day and time where the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is really people who proclaim the Gospel are being persecuted. You know, we've been very fortunate in this country to have the freedom to come here like you guys, your parents get you here or if you drive to come and, and learn about Jesus and learn about the Bible. And, um, and so um, those rights are really kind of being taken away from us. Um, and so it's very important that you guys prepare yourself to, to be rooted and grounded in the truth. And when I say rooted and grounded, I mean that means you studying God's Word and making it part of you, you know. The Word of God says that, that the engrafted Word of God it's, becomes part of you. It's able to save your souls. And we're saved by the preaching and the teaching of the Gospel. And it's important for you guys uh, in this ministry um, to, to just put the Word in and, and read God's Word and study God's Word. And don't be afraid to share the truth of God's Word. But, uh, but anyway, with that said, we're going to get started. And I know that this study um, has been about proclaiming the Gospel and showing Jesus Christ in every book of the Bible. And so it's been a very, I know, we're now into the New Testament, which it's a little, little easier to present Jesus as He's been revealed in the New Testament. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are, every one of us, we're called to witness to other people and to proclaim the saving power of the Gospel. And so, as believers, you guys probably already know, a lot of times, if we see someone or we have a friend 
that's interested in spiritual things, then a lot of times we point them towards where, Bethany? Where do you, like if you had a friend that was interested uh, in spiritual things and you had to point them to a book in the Bible to read or to go to, what, where would you tell them to go? Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's just most people say, you know, hey, read the Gospel of John. And so we know from our study that you guys have been through this past, how long has it been now? Well over a year, I guess. Maybe two years? Maybe? I have no idea. Yeah, it's been a long time. But, um, but we know that we can see Christ in every book in the Bible. But a lot of times we tell people... Um, we tell people to go to the Gospel of John, read the Gospel of John. Well, what's different about this particular book and why do we point people towards the Gospel of John? Well, like I mentioned, we're in the New Testament now, so it's a lot easier to see how the Messiah is revealed in the New Testament accounts. You know, in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those three Gospels, we see, uh, in really all the Gospels, we see the virgin birth. We see the life and ministry of Jesus Christ while He was here on earth. We see the crucifixion when He went to the cross to die for our sins. And ultimately, we see the resurrection of our Lord when He was risen from the dead. And then we see the ascension when He ascended into heaven. And where he is right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So the Gospels, you know, we see that. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I don't know if any of the other people uh, that have, have been teaching had mentioned to this, this to you guys, or if you have uh, heard of, has anybody ever heard the term the synoptic Gospels? Okay. Does anybody know what that is? Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. The Gospels that are alike, kind of probably the word synonym comes, it was a root word from synoptic. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those Gospels, we refer to them as the synoptic Gospels. And they're, although they're written from a different perspective, they, are, um, they share the same accounts and oftentimes in the same order um, and, and so, it just means able to be seen together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the Gospels that when you read them, if you read them back to back to back, you'll see the same events a lot of times in the same order, although they're written from a different perspective. Of course, you guys know that all Scripture is inspired by God. God chose these men, and God breathed these words through these men whom He chose and pinned and put down and gave us these 66 books that we have that we call the Bible. So, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic Gospels. So, then you get to the Gospel of John. So, why is the Gospel of John, why is it different? Well, what's interesting about the Gospel of John is that what John does is he starts off and he begins with, it looks almost like Genesis. The first three words are in the beginning. 
So John doesn't give a recount of Christ born of a virgin. You know, he goes directly into Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he gets your attention right away, and in that first chapter, we and we're going to look at, at some sections of Scripture, we're going to look at that first chapter, but he begins by talking about Jesus Christ as being the Creator. Now we know He's Lord. We know He is the Savior, the Messiah. But do we often think of Jesus as the Creator? Well, He is. Jesus is the Creator. We think about Him as the Son of God, but John presents Him as the Creator as well. In Colossians, it talks about Jesus Christ. By, by Him all things were made, and not anything that was made was made. So we don't often think about Jesus Christ as the Creator. But what the Gospel of John does is John gives an argument, almost like an attorney would in a sense, and gives a sample of the miracles that Jesus did while He was here on earth. And there's actually seven miracles that are highlighted in the Gospel of John. And so, those seven miracles, I'm just going to go over them briefly uh, with you that you'll see in the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, uh, Jesus, I'm sorry, in chapter 2, uh, Jesus turns the water into wine. That's the first miracle that's recorded in the Gospel of John. And then in chapter 4, we see where Jesus heals the nobleman's son. And then later on in chapter 5, we see where Jesus heals the man who is crippled and lame, can't walk. And then we see in chapter 5, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 6, we see two miracles that are, that are given there in chapter 6. The first is when we see Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then... Later on in the chapter, we see where Jesus walks on the water. And then the sixth miracle we see in John chapter 9, which is really an interesting chapter, where Jesus heals the man that was blind from birth. And then in chapter, in chapter 11, we read about Jesus when He raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for four days. He was in the grave for four days. And Jesus rose Him from the dead. And so, these are not all of the miracles that, that Jesus performed. As a matter of fact, if you look in your Bible towards the end of the Gospel of John, and you look at chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it tells us this. It says, "...and many other signs..." Jesus did in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. And then here's the purpose of the book right here. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So why do we point people to the Gospel of John? We point people to the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John reveals very clearly who Jesus Christ is 
And it also tells us how we're to be saved. So, can you find that in the other Gospels? Absolutely. Can you find that in the Old Testament? Yes, you can find that in the Old Testament as well. And this entire study has shown us how we can see the Lord Jesus Christ in every book of the Bible. So we point people towards the Gospel of John because it even says in the book, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you would have eternal life through Him. So that's one of the reasons why Christians point people who are interested in spiritual things, maybe somebody at school that you're developing a relationship with and you're not really sure if they know Jesus. Uh, they might believe in Him in the sense of that they believe that He was from God, but do they truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So as you develop friendships and you're around people in school or, uh, or any kind of sports activities that you might be involved in, it's important that you personally, that you know uh, what it means to truly believe. You know, Pastor Tim all the time talks about what it means to truly be born again and to be saved. And so that's very important because there's so many people that have uh, misconceptions about religion and about who Jesus is. You know, several years ago, I had an opportunity to teach through uh, the Gospel of John. And, and I was watching some videos and, and trying to prepare for, for a message that I was going to... I had an opportunity to preach one time at the church that we used to go to. And so the title of the sermon that I have was, Who is Jesus Christ? And I actually showed a video at the very beginning of that that was just people on the streets with a microphone asking people, who is Jesus Christ? And you wouldn't believe some of the answers that people gave. And, and so I think a lot of times we assume that people know who Jesus is and that they know He's the Messiah, that they know He's the Son of God, that they know He's the light of the world, that they know that He's the Creator, that they know that He's the living water that they know that He's the bread of life, but people don't know Him unless they've been born again. So the Gospel of John, yes, it's a good place to start. One of the things that people will say is, oh, it's just easy. It's an easy book to understand. Well, I don't know about that. I know it's a very deep book. And a lot of people think that maybe it's not deep. I'm here to tell you that every time I read it and every time I study it, I'm seeing things I never saw before. And, and so even this go-round, you know, when it came up my turn, and it's like, oh, I got John, you know? And, uh, and that's what uh, Brad was saying. Oh, man, you got John, this is going to be a breeze, you know? Well, you would think that it would be, but then it's just like, I've been struggling because I'm like, where do I go? I mean, maybe I should just tell the kids, y'all tell me where you want, want me to go, and I'll show you Jesus in whatever section you want me to look at in the Gospel of John because I'm very detail-oriented. And, and so it's hard for me to condense down an entire book in a 30, 45-minute session. So, that's not possible. 
But what I am going to do is I'm going to try to focus on a few sections of Scripture that hopefully uh, will minister to you guys. And so before uh, I get into the Scripture, I would like to ask, uh, Bethany, would you mind praying? Sure. I know we haven't, we haven't started with prayer, so if you would, better late than never, right? So if you would, pray for us, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come before you because you are worthy of all of our praise. You are faithful and you are good. And you are holy, holy, holy. We thank you for the book of John that, that shows us who you are. We pray that this evening that you would open our eyes, Lord, and that we would see you in a way that we've never seen you before. That you would teach us new things about you, that we would just be even more in awe of who you are. We thank you for um, Mr. David and all of the prep that he's done for tonight. I just pray that you would speak through him and that you would just be with us all this evening. And it's in Jesus' Amen. name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bethany. Appreciate that. So let's let's start in chapter 1. Let's look at a few verses in the very beginning of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read just the first few verses here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And the, dark, and the darkness comp comprehends it not. So let's just start right there. You know, we mentioned, uh, I mentioned before, this is a little different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, this is almost like at the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning. So, John starts with, in the beginning. And so, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word. So, he starts off right from the beginning that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And He is the Word. And then... As I mentioned before, all things were made by Him. So, John starts off saying, Jesus is the Creator. Just as I mentioned earlier in Colossians where it says all things were made by Him. Without Him, not anything made was made. In verse 4, we see that He is life and He is the light of men. And then in verse 5, and this is the conflict we're all in, you know. The light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. What does that mean? That means that the light came into the world and those who are not of God, they can't comprehend spiritual things. Your friends that are not born again, that do not have Christ in their life, they cannot comprehend, they cannot understand the Word of God. And it, they oppose the Word of God. That's why we see the young man that I mentioned before in the video that went to jail for sharing Christ's love and he went to jail 
Because darkness and that conflict that light has with darkness. But light exposes darkness. And John tells us here that the light came into the world and the darkness could not comprehend it. And then, as you look at the rest of the chapter, it talks about John the Baptist. So, without getting into major detail about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was from God sent to declare that the Messiah is here. He was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. He came to announce that the Messiah is here. The entire Old Testament was, He's coming, and now He's here. And John's got a message, and what does he say? Repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we, we see John the Baptist's ministry in chapter 1. We see where God had, He was God's man, and God told him, hey, when you see the Spirit descend from heaven and light on this man, that's the Messiah. And you know what? That's what Jesus, that's, He was the Messiah, and John the Baptist saw that. When you read in chapter 1, and you see later that that's what happened, that He saw um, and gave record. Uh, in verse 32 it says, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on Him, or it lit upon Him. And I knew Him not, and He that sent me to baptize with water, which would be God the Father, the same said unto me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descend, and remain on Him, the same is He which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist came with the message that this is Him. He's here and, and you need to follow Him. Later on we see John the Baptist because he had a bunch of followers. He had a lot of people. He was baptizing people. And then when he saw Jesus Christ, God had shown him this is the Messiah. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so John the Baptist was there. His purpose was to introduce the Lord Jesus before Christ began His ministry. John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ. Which he's like, I'm not worthy to baptize you. But he did. And it was all written. It was all uh, in, in the Old Testament prophecies that this was the Messiah and this is how He was going to come. So now He's here. So you want to see Jesus Christ? Here He is. And so, so one, one thing kind of moving ahead, a few interesting verses that I want to point out. After the first miracle that Jesus performs, and you can read that in the beginning of chapter 2 when Jesus turns the water into wine, and then right after that in the same chapter is when you see Jesus uh, overturning the, the money, the tables, and gets a whip because they've made His Father's house a house of merchandise. So we see the Lord Jesus upset. And, so, and I had a lady ask me not too long ago, well, that was, did Jesus ever sin? I'm like, no. Jesus never sinned. Well, what about when He got mad and flipped over the tables? It was like, no, that was not sin. And so anybody that has a question in their mind, did Jesus ever sin? They're either not born again or they don't they have very little understanding 
of the truth because Jesus is the perfect Lamb without blemish. He never sinned one time. But after He scolds and whips the, the people who are making His Father's house a house of merchandise, a few interesting verses that you won't hear a lot of people probably teach and preach on are at the very end of chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. It says, Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast... I'm sorry. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew all men. And He needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. And I know this is King James. Maybe a little bit more difficult to understand. But let me explain it to you. So there were people who saw these miracles that Jesus was performing. And the Bible says that they believed in Him. But then it, said that, it says that Jesus did not commit Himself to them. Really what that means is Jesus did not believe in their belief. Why? Because He knows what's in all men. He could see their hearts. He could see that this was not truly genuine saving faith. That's one of the things as a young believer or someone maybe who's seeking to know the truth. Maybe you're in here and you're not really sure if you're born again. You're not really sure if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. That's okay. Everybody has to come to the point in their life to where they hear the Gospel and God opens the ears and opens the eyes and gives you the faith to believe and trust in Him. So there are people that say that they believe in Jesus just like these people who saw the miracles that Jesus did, but it says that Jesus didn't commit Himself to it. So this was not genuine saving faith that we see at the last few verses of chapter 2. And I think it's pretty interesting as I was looking at the Gospel this time that immediately you go into chapter 3 and it's talking about people who are believing in Jesus but it isn't genuine saving faith. So then we move to chapter 3 which most people that have been Christians for a while, they're very familiar with this chapter but it can't be overemphasized. This chapter can't be overemphasized. So we'll We'll look at chapter 3 and probably spend most of our time here in chapter 3. So it says in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the, Jew, of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come, that comes from God. For no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. So I'm going to stop right there because I I noticed in this particular verse, first of all, Nicodemus, and we find out later that Nicodemus was a teacher from God. I'm sorry. He was a teacher of Israel. And, and Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel later in the chapter. But Nicodemus makes a statement and he says, we know. 
He didn't say I, so evidently he had gotten in touch with his Pharisee buddies. And he says, we know that you're from God. We know that you are a teacher from God. He didn't say we know that you're the Messiah. He said, we know that you're a teacher from God. And then why? He says, because nobody could perform or do these miracles that you're doing if they were not from God. Well, I got thinking about that. Can the enemy do miracles? Do you see anywhere in the Bible where the enemy, Satan, can he perform miracles? What? I can't hear. I'm so deaf. You're going to have to speak up. The Egyptians, yeah. You think about the the Egyptians. Were those just magic tricks, or was it possible miracles? So, just because something happens that seems miraculous, it's not automatically credited to God. Okay. So, really, his thought process was nobody could do these miracles if they were not from God. That may not necessarily be true. Just just food for thought there. And the Bible talks about lie, uh, lies and, and, and lying wonders that occur. We know that Satan comes as an angel of light. And we know that he's very powerful. And we know that there are fallen angels and demons that are very, very powerful. It's not something to dabble in at all. Uh, but anyway, just uh, I thought that was interesting just looking at it this time. He recognized Christ as a teacher that was from God and, and had the reasoning that nobody could do these things except they were from God. So Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when, when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So this is what I want you guys to think about here. So Nicodemus intellectually is trying to equate and say, this guy's a teacher from God because he's doing miracles. And, and so you cannot intellectually believe in Jesus Christ this is not something that you do with your mind. It's not a decision that you make up here with your brain that you're going to decide to follow Jesus. He decided before the foundation of the earth if you were going to be His or not. And so He's going to be the one that gives you life. He's the Creator of the universe. And He's the Creator of life. And He'll open your eyes and open your ears. So here's Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel and he's saying how I don't understand this how can I be born a second time I'm to to go into my mother's womb and then be born a second time so in his mind he's trying to figure this thing out and so Jesus says he says in verse 5 verily verily I say unto you he says it again except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And he says, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And then he says, The wind blows where it will, 
And now here's the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it comes from or whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So the primary thing here to look at is you're born into this world once. You really didn't have a choice with that, did you? Anybody in here decide that they were going to be born into this world the first time? <laughs> no. So, but thank God you're here. And, uh, and so, you had to be born of the flesh. So you're here. And when you were born into this world, you were born into sin. You were under the curse from Adam from the very beginning. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. And every person that has ever been born inherited that sin nature. And so that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. You must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus couldn't understand it with his mind. He said you must be born of the Spirit. So when he's talking about born again, he's talking about receiving the Spirit of God. Backing up to a verse that I probably should have went over and in my notes I wanted to, in chapter 1, talking about Jesus Christ and Him being the true light, in verse 12 it says, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on His name. And so, and then it says, who were which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And so, that's salvation right there. As many as received Him. Received who? Jesus Christ. You know, it's not about accepting Him. Oh, well, you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. No, you have to receive. You have to receive Him. For as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on His name. And then it, it qualifies that by saying, which were born, not of blood, so it's not of the flesh when you were born the first time in, into this world, nor of the will of the flesh. You didn't have anything to do with it when you were born the first time. You really don't have anything to do with it when you're born again. God is the one that gives you new life in Him. It's not the will of the man, but of God. So God is going to save every single soul who He had mercy upon and save them by His grace. And you know how He does it? Through the preaching of the Gospel. That's how you get saved. You hear the Word of God. The Lord convicts you of your sin. And you realize that yes, I'm a sinner. Have you ever told me? Yeah, a lie. Yeah, I have. Have you ever stolen something? Oh, no, I've never stolen. No, wait a minute. You didn't steal any change out of your mom's purse? You didn't get a piece of gum from your brother? Or, no, yeah, oh well. Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, well, you're a thief. You know? So, I mean, you can go through the Ten Commandments. And what are the Ten Commandments for? They're to show man that he's a sinner. You know, how can you be saved if you don't recognize that you need a Savior. You know, you could have somebody that has cancer and don't even know it and never goes to the doctor. And then they, they, they die of cancer and they never knew that they were even sick. You know, so if you don't 
recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And, and so that's what God's Word does. Whether you go to Isaiah, whether you go to Genesis, whether you go to John, you know, the Gospel is there. God is going to save every single soul that He predetermined before the foundation of the earth. And how does He do it? Through the proclamation, the preaching, and the teaching of the Gospel. That's why you're here. You're here to learn on how to be saved. I mean, and then if you are saved, you're here to worship and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve Him and to grow in His knowledge and to grow uh, in His truth. But back to uh, chapter 3. So, Nicodemus in verse 9 says, how can these things be? So, Jesus has told him he must be born again and he's saying, how can these things be? And in verse 10, Jesus says, you are a master of Israel or a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? He says, verily, verily I say unto you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe? How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. A very interesting verse here. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believes on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. Do you remember in chapter 1? When Jesus, when it says that light, He was the light, and the darkness comprehended it not? Well, here it is. The light... The light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved or exposed. Light exposes darkness. You turn all the lights out in this room, you turn those lights on and the darkness flees. But he that does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that you're condemned. Every person that is born into this world is sentenced to eternal damnation. And you say, well, that's not fair. Well, I'm sorry. It's the truth. So when you were born into this world, I don't care how good of a girl you are, or how good of a boy you've been, 
You're born separated from God. You don't have God's Spirit if you're not born again. You have to have God's Spirit. You have to repent. The message that John the Baptist gave to the people was repent. That means to turn away from your sin. Here's Jesus right here. He's pointing. This is the Messiah. He's here. So you need to repent. And you need to turn towards Him. You know, John the Baptist, before they cut his head off, yeah, that's what happened to him. He got beheaded. A lot of the disciples were martyred. They were they died for this thing. This is what this is a fairy tale, y'all. This is real. They were persecuted. There's many people today that are still being persecuted. I mean, we're fortunate in this country, but we're starting to see that persecution come. We're seeing young men that are trying to share Jesus and getting cuffed and going to jail. While men are dressed up like women and, and that's okay. I mean, really. That's what you guys are going to be facing. A lot more of this. So what is the primary thing for you in this youth group? The primary thing is that you must be born again. The same message that Jesus gave Nicodemus is for me. It's for Brad. It's for Drew. It's for everybody in this room. Do we know who God chose and who the elect are? No. We don't know who they are, so what do we do? We preach the Gospel to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. So we do what God tells us to do, which is to proclaim the Gospel. It's, it's, it's not complicated. God sent His Son. Jesus Christ, He was the Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. God sent His Son. He lived on this earth. He, we learn about His ministry. We learn about Him calling and choosing His disciples and His ministry while He's here on earth. And He came for one purpose and He knew what His purpose was. And that was to die for the sins of the world. Now when I say die for the sins of the world, I believe He did. I believe He died for the sins of the entire world. And it is applied to the elect for eternal life. Not everybody will believe. That's why it says right here in these verses that I just read, He that believed on Him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. So there's two different kinds of people in this world, y'all. Only two different kinds. Those who are condemned and those who are not condemned. So we're looking at people who are born again and people who are not born again. Is there a process that may take place in your life before you're born again? Yeah. I look at my life and I see I live my life 30 years believing that Jesus was the Christ and was the Son of God, but I was not born again. I was like this man Nicodemus where I accepted the facts about who Jesus was. If you would have asked me who Jesus was, I would have said He's the Son of God. Is He born of a virgin? Yeah, I believe that. I believe He was born of a virgin. I was taught that. Raised as a Catholic. You might have some friends that are Catholic. Might be real good people. Might be saved. Could get saved. I got saved. I was raised Catholic. You know, so God saves Muslims. God saves Catholics. God saves Buddhists. You know, God saves whomever He chooses to save. 
And it's done through the preaching of the Gospel. So, the primary thing is two kinds of people. People who are condemned and people who are born again. People who come to the Lord and repent of their sin and ask God to save them. And then when you do that, He gives you His Spirit. So born again is born of the Spirit. So the Spirit comes to live and dwell inside of you. And according to the Bible, you become a new creation. A new creature. It says old things are passed away and all things have become new. You have the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now lives and dwells inside of you. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, it 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 presents the Gospel. A lot of people kind of look over it, but it says, after you heard, you have to hear it, after you heard the Gospel of your salvation, then you believed. And you received. And you were sealed by the Spirit of God. So the process of salvation is hearing the Gospel, believing, but that's the key word right there. What does it mean to believe? It means to trust in Him. That you're trusting in nothing else but what He did on the cross. It's not your works. It's not what you did. It's what He did. And so it's a miracle that occurs when a person comes to the point in their life where they give up. And really, that's kind of the way I look at it is you just kind of give up and you say, Lord, I know I'm not righteous. And I am a sinner. And I, I'm asking you to save my soul. And He will save you. He will save you. And, and when He fills you with His Spirit, you are different. And, and now, your life is different. And it says all things become new. So, now you have been set apart. When you receive God's Spirit, then you have eternal life. Just like it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that Spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes to live and dwell inside of you, that is eternal life. And I don't know really how else to, uh, to convey how important it is that you understand that this is something you have to receive. You know, uh, Pastor Tim was talking before I came in. He, was, and he said, you teaching tonight? I said, yeah. And, I, and he asked me what it was. And he said, and I told him, John, he said, oh, well, you know, you don't even have to repent, you know, according to John. And he was just kidding, but evidently he was talking about in his past that somebody said, well, you know, you don't have to repent. It doesn't talk about repentance in the Gospel of John. But um, I don't think that's the case. Because immediately what came to my mind is when you read about the woman at the well, and you can go, I think it's in chapter 4 maybe, um, the woman at the well. Yeah. So in chapter 4, I'm not going to read it, but um, so I'll just kind of give you a 
brief synopsis of what was going on. So there's a Samaritan woman. And Samaritans were like half-breeds. They were half-Jewish. And so the Jews looked upon the Samaritans. They didn't treat them right. Okay? And, and they would not... They just, they just mistreated them. And so they were kind of separated from the Jews. The Jews thought they were better than them, pretty much. So Jesus goes to the well and there's a woman there and He says, draw me out some water. And um, she says, wait a minute, you're a Jew and you're asking a Samaritan? I'm a Samaritan. You're asking me to draw water from the well? And um, He said, well, I, I got some living water. You know, I've got some living water. If you take a drink of this living water, you'll never thirst again. And, and so, she says, uh, give me some of that water. Pretty much, I'm paraphrasing. I'll, I'd like some of that living water. And so he says, well, uh, tell you what, go get your husband and bring him up here. And she's like, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you've got, you got five of them. So, and she goes, oh, uh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know, that's how she responded. But the deal was this. Jesus confronted her with her sin. Okay? Because He... And so, don't tell me that repentance is not in the Gospel of John. Because if it was just about give me that living water, you know what I mean? If it was just about asking Jesus, just save me, Jesus. But, oh, by the way, I'm not really going to repent because I want to enjoy my sin. Okay? I, I appreciate... I'll take the eternal life part, but you know, if I could just hold on to my sin stuff, I'd, I'd, I'd rather just keep it too. It doesn't work that way. So she's like, give me some of that living water. I, I, I'll take it. I, I, I'd like to not ever thirst again. But he confronts her with her sin. And I think she ends up getting saved. She went back. She told people that, that he was the Messiah. And so it's a pretty interesting story. You read chapter 4 uh, about the Samaritan woman, and there I think um, you will see uh, repentance there. And then another interesting story, and we'll kind of end with this. And I know it's what time is it, y'all? We've got some time. I know this is long. It's not my fault that y'all didn't have any music. You blame it on Joseph being sick, right? And Drew being sick. Um, so, in John chapter 5, it's a pretty interesting story about Jesus healing this man. And one of the things, if you go through that chapter and you look at the process that took place in this crippled man's life, and, and I'll just read it and... Um, and we'll, I want to point out just a few things and then we'll, we'll close. This is the beginning of chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and, Je and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there, now there is at Jerusalem, Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now this is pretty 
weird section of scripture right here. A lot of pastors and teachers, they just they don't talk about the weird stuff. This is pretty weird. Verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, and whoever then after the troubling or the stirring up of the water, whoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Isn't that strange? So what it's saying is that there was a certain time that an angel would come down and stir up the water and then whoever got in the water first would be healed of whatever disease they had. Pretty weird, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard a preacher preach on that. But, you know, that's what the Bible says. It says that people were being healed in that manner. And then it says, and there was a certain man that was there which had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had, had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Will you be made whole? So in other words, you got a crippled man. Okay, He's crippled, he can't walk. He's had this condition for 38 years. And Jesus, and he's sitting by this pool waiting to get into the water so he can be healed. And so Jesus says, ask him a question, will you be made whole? In other words, do you want to be healed? And the man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming in, another steps down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And so, one of the things that I wanted to point out about this particular story was Jesus asked him, Would you, you want to you be healed? And, and so what does the man say? He says, How can I? Because every time I try to get in, somebody breaks in line before me and I can't get in the water. You ever, does that make y'all mad? Like if you're in line or, or you're, and, and people just cut in front of you? I can't stand that. I mean, I, I, sometimes I say something. Like I'm like, was I not first? I mean, you know. But so basically that's what's happening with this man. He's trying to get into the water and he can't because people are jumping in front of him and he can't get in the water. But I thought about this when I was studying this this time. That's kind of like works. Jesus asked him, you want to be made whole? And he's like, how can I? I can't get in the water. And, and it's man thinking he has to do something. And Jesus says, get up, take up your bed, walk. And the man, you know what he did? He got up, took up his bed, and he walked. So salvation is of the Lord. It's not your works. It's not somebody else helping you. You know, somebody might guide and direct you or point you to the Word of God. But it's uh, absolutely the Lord that does the saving. Um, I know I said that's the last thing. One more thing. This one's really a long chapter, but very interesting. When Jesus heals the blind man. 
And uh, I'm going to read it. It's chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. So this man was born blind. Okay? And His disciples asked Him, saying, Master, who did sin? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? So that was one of the common misconceptions right there of the day is that if you were born blind, somebody sinned. It Was it that man that sinned or was it his parents that sinned that caused him to be blind? And then Jesus says in verse 3, He says, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest or revealed in him. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So in other words, you know, Jesus is saying I'm the light. Um, this man was made blind so I could manifest my glory. So I could heal him. So the purpose in God allowing this man to be blind was for Jesus to heal this man. And so in verse 6, it says, when He had thus spoken, He spit on the ground and made clay from the spit and He put it on the man's eyes. He put the, this clay that He made with the spit and, and rubbed it on the man's eyes. And He said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and He went His way therefore and washed. And He came back seen. And then the neighbors thereof, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, is, is this not, is this the one who sat big? And some said, yeah, that's him. And others said, no, he's like him, but it's not him. And therefore said they unto him, how were your eyes opened? So this man's been blind his whole life. And now Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, rubs it on his eyes, and now the man sees and so people are observing this and they're like, isn't that that man that's been begging? No, nah, that ain't him. Yeah, it is. No, nah, that ain't him. So they're like arguing back and forth saying, is this that blind man? And, and so in verse 11 he says, and he answered and said, and notice this, a man. So he's talking about Jesus. He says, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and I went and washed, and I received sight. So notice in verse 11, he refers to Jesus as a man. And then they said unto him, Where is he? And he says, I don't know. And they said, They brought to the Pharisees him that was blind. And it was on the Sabbath day, and that's one thing you'll notice. Jesus healed a lot of people on the Sabbath day, and that made the Pharisees very angry when he did that. In verse 14, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes and washed, and I do so. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath day. And others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among the people. The Word of God creates division, y'all. I'm here to tell you, it creates division, just as it did right here. And they said unto the blind man, this is verse 17, What sayest thou 
of Him that opens your eyes. And then He says, He is a prophet. Remember verse 11? He said He was a man. Now, He's referring to Jesus as a prophet. Verse 18, But the Jews did not believe concerning Him that had been blind and received the sight until they called His parents and they called his parents and they asked the parents saying, is, is this your son who you say was born blind? How, how now does he see? And his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we, we know not. Or who has opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him, he shall speak for himself. And then verse 22 says, these words spoke his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, that they should be put out of the synagogue. So his parents were worried about getting kicked out of the church, really. Because they had already said, if anybody, if anybody says that this is the Christ, then you're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. So they're like, well, yeah, this is our son, and yeah, he was blind, but no, we don't really know how he is seeing now. Uh, why don't you ask him? You know, I mean, the parents kind of kind of threw him under the bus, really. But that's what they did. And so they said, he's of age, ask him. In verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Talking about Jesus. And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know that whereas I was blind, now I see. He's just giving the facts. Like, I was blind, but now I see. So what do you keep asking me the same questions for? I've been blind my whole life, and now I see. And so, um, let's see. Verse 26, then said they to him again, what did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, you did not hear, wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be His disciples? And they reviled Him and said, you are His disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. And we know that God's spoken to Moses for His fellow. We know not from where, from where He is. And the man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from where He is, and yet He has opened my eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth His will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So he's testifying now of Jesus to these men. And they answered him in verse 34 and said, you were all together born in sin and, and you're going to teach us and they cast him out. So they prescribed to the theory that this man was born blind, his parents must have sinned to do something to cause him to have this deformity and be blind. And so they cast him out. And then look what's, what happens here. And so in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe in the Son of God? 
And look at this honest answer that this man gives. He says, Who is He, Lord, that I might believe? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen Him, and it is He that talks with you. In verse 38, and He said, Lord, I believe. He worshipped Him. So, look at this process, y'all. This is salvation right here. God healed this blind man. Did the blind man ask to be healed? He did. What was the blind man created blind for? So Jesus could heal him. So Jesus could reveal His glory. And that's what it says. So the man was blind, not because of the sin of his parents. He was born blind so Jesus could reveal or manifest His glory in healing this man. So this process of this man's eyes getting open, who is it that healed you? This man named Jesus. That's what he said earlier. This man named Jesus. He spit on the ground, rubbed some mud on my eyes. I was blind and now I see. And then they questioned him. He's like, well, who do you think he is? Well, now he's a prophet. He's a prophet. He's from God. So now he's testifying that he's from God. This guy's he's a prophet. So he went from a man to now he's a prophet. And then Jesus confronts him and, and says, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, Who is he? He still didn't see that it was Jesus. Who is he that I might believe? And Jesus said, It's me. And he said, I believe. We worship. That's salvation, y'all. You've got to go from a process that Jesus is more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than just being from God. He is the Son of God. And when He, when God pricks your heart and says to you, do you believe that I'm the Son of God? And He opens your eyes, then you say, yes, Lord. And you know what the, the next thing you do? You worship. So if you love the Lord, you're going to worship Him because He's going to save you. He's going to give you His Spirit. And the thing that happens next is a life change and given eternal life. I know that was long, y'all. And I hope that some of the things that the Lord had me bring forth, I know it a lot. But I just pray that God might use some of the things in His Word that would uh, penetrate your heart. Let's, let's pray and we'll be done. Dear Gracious Father, we do thank You for today. And I just thank You for Your Word, Lord. I thank You, Lord, that Your Word is truth. I thank You that Jesus Christ is the truth. And I thank You for the Gospel of John. I thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and how uh, we can learn so much uh, about salvation and putting our faith and trust in Him alone. And so God, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room that has not given their life to You, Lord, that today might be the day of their salvation. That they would see through the preaching of Your Word nothing that I did or said, but just the proclamation or the bringing forth of the truth of the Gospel we know that it is the power of God and the salvation. And we know that You're able to convict men of their sin. And we know that You grant repentance 
And so God, we pray that that seed might um, just bring forth fruit unto salvation for maybe many in this room. Lord. So God, You know man's heart just like those people that we learned about that saw the miracles that You did and said they believed in You, but You saw their heart. You knew it wasn't genuine. So Lord, we know that You see our hearts. So Lord, we give You our heart. We give You everything that we have. We pray, God, that Your Spirit would come and dwell inside of us and seal us and give us eternal life. And we pray just as You open this blind man's eyes without him asking, You just did it to reveal Your glory. We thank You, God, how You revealed Yourself to him and asked him, do you believe? And he said, who is he? So that I might believe. And you said, it's, it's me. So God, I pray that You might do that to somebody in this room. That You might show them and reveal Yourself to them and that they would trust in You that, that their sin was paid for in full when You went to the cross. Lord. So God, I just thank You for the cross. I thank You for dying for my sins. I thank You for dying for everyone in this room, Lord, that puts their faith and trust in You that You have given them eternal life and given them Your Spirit. Lord. So I just thank You for tonight. I just pray You give us a good evening. I pray for the young children that are in Juana that You continue to work in their hearts and in their minds and all the people that are working uh, here at the church for Your honor and Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.